Let's return to our series in Daniel tonight. We finished chapter 3 last time. We saw how God delivered Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the fiery furnace after they refused not to bow and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up in the plain of Dura in Babylon. Before Nebuchadnezzar had cast them into the fire, he had asked the question, Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Well, he got his answer. They were delivered, and then he he had no choice but to admit at the end, there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. And once again, we saw how Nebuchadnezzar got close to knowing God. He, He didn't get there. He's just referred to God as the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, much like he did in chapter 2 of the God of Daniel. He's still missing it. He recognizes there is a God that is working in their life, but he's not there yet. This brings us to chapter 4, where many believe Nebuchadnezzar is finally converted. And if so, this may be the greatest and most unlikely conversion in all of the Old Testament, make an argument in all the Bible. Many compare this to the conversion of Saul of Tarsus in the New Testament, later becomes the Apostle Paul. Chapter 4 is unique in that Daniel is not the penman. He is relaying information. No, he's not even relaying information. He's really inserting the edict that King Nebuchadnezzar issues. These are Nebuchadnezzar's own words here. And obviously, God felt fit to have it in here because here it is. And it's not to suggest that the king would have consulted with Daniel, but Daniel is merely including this edict. And I think that's quite a thought, that this chapter in our Bible is penned by a man like Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I'm not saying he knew it was Scripture, okay? But isn't that remarkable to think about, that a man like Nebuchadnezzar has has this in the Word of God? And that may reinforce the idea that perhaps Nebuchadnezzar did get saved. Maybe he did come to faith. We'll We'll talk about that as we go, but especially at the end of the chapter. But ultimately, isn't it God who is in control of judging who is saved and who isn't? Because we can't see the heart. We can take people at what they say, but that's about it. And ultimately, I'm content not to be dogmatic about the issue and just simply let you have your opinion. And I guess what I'm saying is it's not worth starting another church over this particular question. As we come to this chapter, we are now decades into Nebuchadnezzar's reign as king. His reign lasted over 40 years. The events of this chapter are going to span eight years. There is the time that he has this vision, this dream, but then there are 12 months that will pass, and then I believe it'll be seven years uh, will pass with him in the field, and then he comes back. So I believe this is an eight-year span here in this chapter. Verse 4 will begin then in the third decade of his reign, and this chapter will extend into the fourth decade 
of his reign. And most believe that he died approximately two years after the events that take place here. In verse 1, we see how Nebuchadnezzar was the undisputed superpower in the world. Babylon was the empire, and this man ruled a vast area, and he addresses all people, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. Look at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. Now, isn't it interesting that Nebuchadnezzar, a man who gained all of this empire through conquering, now is saying, peace be multiplied unto you. Some say this is merely a customary greeting, and I suppose that could be so. Some suggest it may indicate a change in his heart. And now all of a sudden, instead of all the wars, he's now talking about peace being given uh, to people. Remember the, the, the dream that God gave Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 of the great image of a man? And Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. God gave him power, strength, and glory. And he reigned over what I call the epicenter of humanity at that time. It says he ruled in all the earth. It doesn't mean he ruled the entire globe. But he ruled really the hub of, of everything at that time. And you can find that stated over in Daniel 2, 37 and 38. But it's, it's interesting to note in verse 1 how he's talking now about this peace. Isn't this interesting? Now, Peter will mention peace be multiplied unto you. Apostle Paul mentions peace in his writings. But I, I don't know that I remember um, in Esther, what was the king's name there? Ahasuerus. I don't really recall him talking much about it. And yet now he's talking about this peace. And I just find this interesting because he was this head of gold and he saw himself as glorious and powerful, and he was. And yet now there seems maybe to be this humbling, I don't know. In verse 2, this event has had such a profound impact on his life that he feels like he needs to tell everyone how, how the high God has worked in his life. Look at verse 2. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. Now certainly as believers, we shouldn't shy away from giving our testimony. Amen. Amen. Regardless of your opinion of Nebuchadnezzar's conversion, we, we ought to be happy to tell people our testimony about how God has worked in our life to bring us to Himself. Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Aren't you glad you've been redeemed from the enemy? Well, testify of it. Proclaim it. Tell people about it. Don't ever shy away from testifying about what God has done in saving your soul. Amen. He saved us from hell. Then, not just that, He cares for us after we're saved. And, and we ought to tell people how good God has been along the way, not just in saving us. Thank God He did, and don't ever lose the wonder of that. But we're breathing today. God is good to, to us. Hebrews 13, 15, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God 
continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Psalm 107 verse 8, it's actually said four times in that psalm, but it says this, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And then in verse 3, the king exclaims, How great are His signs! How mighty are His wonders! And like I just said, don't lose the wonder of it all. Look at what he acknowledges there. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. Now, if you remember from chapter 2, this is what God had been trying to teach him then, all those decades earlier. He wanted him to see this and to recognize this. So in verses 1 through 3, we get this opening to this edict. He's setting the stage for what he is about uh, to give us. And in verses 4 and following, we get how this came to pass in his life and what the outcome was. And so bear with me. I'm going to read from verse 4 through the end. We'll go back. We'll make some observations And we make some applications along the way here. But look at what it says in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid. The thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them, but... They did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it. The fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and the the flesh, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold a watcher and a holy one, came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beast and the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basis of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, has, have seen, now, there, now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation there, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies." 
The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as an oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree, of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king... Let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness and thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months. He walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. And my understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me. My counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and His ways judgment, and those that walk in pride He is able to abase. Amen and amen. You can check your Bible list. In verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar has made an end of his military campaigns. If I have my history correct, he's freshly off of what he was doing in, down in Egypt. He's back in Babylon. He's in his palace. He's finally at rest in his house. He is now flourishing in his palace. In other words, the king now feels secure and he feels prosperous. Life is good. He can just enjoy the golden years, live out his days relaxing, in peace and enjoyment. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that, 
I'm reminded of the parable of Jesus that he, he spoke about this rich man. He gave it in Luke 12, 16-21, and He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto them, unto him, Thou fool! This night thy soul shall be required of thee, and then whose things, um, and who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And then Jesus said, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, this is interesting because here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's got this safety and peace, he, th- he thinks. It's now being interrupted. In verse 5, he has this dream. It makes him afraid and troubled. I like what Matthew Henry wrote. Listen to this. God can reach the greatest of men with His terrors even when they are most secure and think themselves at rest and flourishing. Everything externally looked good for Nebuchadnezzar. Everything looked to be in good order. Everything was going fine. But inwardly, his mind was terrified. This was an experienced man of war. He spent his life doing military campaigns. It was nothing for him to look down into the eye of an enemy. And yet here he is, and he's now afraid. And and I just want to remind us, it doesn't matter our station in life. God knows how to reach us where we are at. He knows how to get to you if He wants to. And He can put His finger on something and cause you to be terrified if He so chooses, if you're not walking with God. Because when we're walking with God, we do have peace. Amen. Well, naturally, as we saw in chapter 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he seeks for an interpretation of his dream. Of course, he calls for the wise men again, and they can't interpret it. Is it just me, or would you think by now he would know to go straight to Daniel? I mean, this is kind of ludicrous. But he calls for them, and, and they do not interpret it. At, at last, Daniel comes in. But it's interesting because in, instead of turning to Daniel right away, he turns to these others, and I would say that this is still true of people today. We have God's Word. We have situations that come up that we need to turn to God for, and yet many times we turn to other sources when really our first turn has to be to God. That's who we need to turn to. But many times people don't, and what they do is they go out and they seek counsel elsewhere. And they trust their associations or their superstitions over the Word of God. So at last Daniel comes in before... I'm moving fast because I'm actually going to try to break a record and cover an entire chapter. I know it's never happened. This is the night. Well, Daniel comes in before the king in verse 8. Nebuchadnezzar notes his Hebrew name in this edict. And that name honored the one true God. And and I think this proves to the reader that the edict, edict, and I'm talking about a reader in those days, it, it proved to the readers that it was a Hebrew captive who worshiped God, the God of heaven, is the one who interpreted his dream. I guess if Nebuchadnezzar had just said Belteshazzar, there may have been room to say, okay. But this is calling out Daniel here by his Hebrew name. It's great that this is happening here. But he does mention how his name was changed. And he says that Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar to honor his God, which most believe Belteshazzar means Prince of Baal. 
Baal, and that was their main chief deity. And, and the king goes on to say of Daniel that he possessed the spirit of the holy gods. And at this point, the, the king shows how he felt Daniel's God was just another God to be worshipped. He's just in the pantheon of their gods, just another God. And that's kind of the vibe I get from that. And he says about the holy gods, he talks about his God. In verse 9, he calls Daniel the master of the magicians, not the servant of God. And we find this mix throughout this of this, this paganism and then this talk of the true God. There's a mix here throughout this chapter of the two, which may be expected from somebody who's, who's wrapping their head around all this. Or it could be, again, that he, he, never, he never did reach God. But you'll, you'll find this throughout, at least until the end. And that's why I find it difficult to say with any certainty whether he was or wasn't uh, truly converted. But the, the king tells Daniel his vision of this great, high, strong, glorious tree in the midst of the earth. It provided meat for all. The beasts of the field enjoyed the shadow of it. The birds made it their home. And it's a similar description of what was given in Daniel 2.38. And I already made reference to this, but it says, And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And so this tree here in chapter 4, it's representing Nebuchadnezzar yet again. And I think there's a connection here. I, I didn't really dig into it a whole lot, but I believe there's a connection here between what's taking place and what's stated and what took place over in Genesis 11 that we just studied on Sunday mornings about the Tower of Babel. We find that they wanted to build a city whose tower reached unto heaven, and this tree is said to reach unto heaven. Also, God came down at the Tower of Babel and confounded their language. And here in verse 13, a watcher and a holy one comes down from heaven and says, Hew it down. Most believe the watcher is a reference to an angel, which I take no issue with. Uh, but in the Psalms, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Christ is referenced as the Holy One of Israel. And so there may be room for that as well. The tree is to be cut down, the branches cut off, leaves shaken off, fruit to be scattered, the beasts and the fowls are to leave it. But the stump and the roots are to remain in the earth. And the phrase in verse 15, which says, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, it's just telling us that this stump is going to be preserved. It's going to be secure. It's going to be safe. It's really a picture that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is going to be secure. While Nebuchadnezzar would be cut down, uh, he would not be killed. The stump, it says, would have its portion with the beast in the grass of the earth. Then it says, his heart would be changed from a man's to a beast and seven times until seven times passes over. I think the reference to seven is years. Uh, you can agree or disagree, but I think based on other passages in the Bible, that would be the correct uh, thinking here is that it's going to be seven years of time that he's going to be out in the field uh, living as a beast. Then comes the interpretation in verses 19 through 26. We aren't told how long it took to receive the interpretation, but I don't think it was long. For the most part, it seems pretty obvious, the interpretation. I think the real question that Nebuchadnezzar has, the fear he has, does this apply to me? Because some of the interpretations given in the dream itself, 
And so I, I think the fear is that this might be talking about me. And, and I can see where maybe even the, the wise men of Babylon said, we're not interpreting it. I don't want to give you bad news. Are you with me? Because uh, I, I think it's pretty obvious as you read some of this that the, the real question is whether or not it's Nebuchadnezzar. I think, they might, I think the wise men might have been fearful to interpret it. I think this is why the king is so afraid. I think he has an idea this is speaking of me. Now, imagine being Daniel. And you have to be the one to tell the king the interpretation of this dream. <laughs> this is a man who, like, without hesitation will say, I issue a decree that you be cut in pieces and your house be made a dunghill. All right, this is the man who says, you bow down and worship, I'll throw you in a furnace. And so can you imagine being Daniel here having to tell the king the news? No wonder verse 19 says, Daniel was astonished for one hour or astonied for one hour. His thoughts troubled him. Daniel is astonished and he's troubled at the thought of this punishment against the king. And maybe Daniel's thinking, I don't want to have to tell the king this news. It seems to be part of it because in the middle of verse 19, the king says to Daniel, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. It's like Nebuchadnezzar knows, he knows the interpretation. Just tell me. I don't want to tell you. I don't care. Tell me. But Daniel says, the dream is for those that hate you. The, the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. What's Daniel saying to the king? King, this is not good. This is not something I would even want enemies to have to... This is bad, is what he's saying. Now, if you've ever witnessed to others, and if you, have, and if you haven't and you're a believer, shame on you. Thanks for backing me up, church. Because you ought to be witnessing. If you've witnessed to others enough... You know that feeling when you get to that place where you have to tell them news that they don't want to hear. And you know you're going to have to just tell them, if you reject Christ, you're going to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. Now, who really wants to give that news? I don't ever say it with a smile on my face. We, listen, Christians, believers may even be astonished and troubled at the thought that a loving God would have that as the punishment for rejecting His Son. And you know it's true because you hear it all the time. How can a loving God send people to hell? Well, they, they're the ones that rejected Christ. We have to be honest with the Word of God. We have to trust the justice of God. One day I may share the details, but I recently shared with my parents Someone had reached out to me, and I always knew in my heart the day was coming. And I knew I was going to be faced with telling this one, you're on your way to a devil's hell. And if you don't get right with God, you're going to spend eternity separated from our God in a place called the lake of fire. And I can tell you, it's not something that brought joy to my heart to have to say that. But it had to be said. Because it's the truth of God's Word. And we cannot back down from the truth. And of course, I followed that up with, Christ is the way of salvation. I mean, don't misunderstand me. 
Well, Daniel has to tell the king the truth. And in verse 22, Daniel says of the tree, it is thou, O king. And in verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king. He's saying, this is you. It's you, Nebuchadnezzar. Your pride is going to be cut down. You'll be driven from men. You'll dwell with the beast of the field. You'll eat grass like an ox. You'll be wet with the dew of heaven. Until you finally admit that God reigns on high and He decides what kings and what kingdoms He puts in place. When you finally acknowledge that, you'll be restored to your throne. So much for the rest and flourishing. Amen? Now, do not miss verses 27 and 29. Verse 28 there in the middle, it is stated to show what was foretold did come to pass. And then in verses 30 through 36, he's going to give an account of going through it. But don't miss what's on both sides of verse 28. In verse 27, Daniel calls the king to repent. The king... He had it good, man. I mean, his enemies are subdued. He's enjoying life. But what did Paul say in Romans 2.4? He he tries to explain that the goodness of God isn't to encourage us to sin, but that it is the goodness of God that should lead us to repentance. But with a hardened heart comes the judgment of God. Even after this interpretation... Decades of wicked living, we see in verse 29, the merciful God of heaven gives the king another 12 months to repent. At no point in this dream, this vision, did God say it's going to be cut down in 12 months. So don't miss the fact that God's being good. He's given this man another 12 months to get his heart right. He'd already had the dream in chapter 2. He's not connecting it, man. He's already tried to kill the Hebrews. They walk out of the fire. God's in there with them. And he still doesn't get it. And, and now here we are even further down the road. And, and yet, if he doesn't get the, I mean, God is doing everything He can to reach him. Don't ever accuse God of being unmerciful. God is so good to this man. Our, our God is long-suffering. How many can testify to that? Our God is compassionate. He's merciful. He's gracious. But after a year, the king refused Daniel's counsel to break off his sins and show mercy to the poor. And we know what's about to happen. Nebuchadnezzar, he surveys his kingdom from his palace. And he says in... in, in, In those days in Babylon, they were famous for building these ziggurats. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, Those goofy-looking things you see out in the desert there. Kind of like a pyramid, but with steps, I guess is how I would describe it. And um, he's probably in something like this. He's on top of this thing. Most likely he's overlooking this, this great province of Babylon and no doubt thinking about his entire empire. But he says in verse 30, Is not this great Babylon... And, and by the way, it was great. It was. It, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the 
seven wonders of the ancient world. This was a magnificent um, place to be and to see. And so it, it was great in that sense. But notice the rest of verse 30. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and the honor of my majesty? Uh-oh, this ain't working for God. And God says, no, you don't. So in verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and the sentence of the dream was passed that same hour. That's amazing. That within an hour, he speaks it, within an hour's time, he's in the field. He went from a prideful head of gold to a beast of the field like that. He was driven from men. He ate grass like an ox. He was wet with the dew of heaven. And over time, his hair became like eagle's feathers. His nails were like bird's claws. No matter how great someone may view themselves, God can cut them down with ease. Proverbs 16, 5, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18 and 19, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Now, you may be thinking, this is ridiculous. How in the world can somebody live like this? This has got to be fake. A lot of people try to explain this away. There actually is a clinical term for, for this. It's uh, lycanthropy. More specifically, Nebuchadnezzar's case would be diagnosed as boanthropy which is a psychological disorder where people think they're a bovine. And, and there's documented cases of this. It seems to fit what Nebuchadnezzar went through. I'm not saying that it was for sure. I've never been to medical school. <laughs> but remember in verse 16, the watcher of the dream said this, let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him. And understand the heart in the Bible is not talking about the organ that pumps the blood. But it's talking about your thoughts, your mind, your, who you are. And so his heart's being changed to that of a beast. He's got a psychological issue that's come upon him from God. Man, I wish I had more time. What is the church to do with something like this? I'm going to get controversial just a little bit. Are we even to address mental illness? What do we do? Do we ignore it and say, well, we can't do anything with it and we'll just leave it all to the psychological professionals? We certainly can't act like we know everything because we don't. But, but wait a minute, these things are in the Bible. In today's world, Job would be diagnosed with clinical depression. David in the Psalms would be diagnosed as bipolar. The maniac of Gadara would be diagnosed with some sort of mental illness. Paul in overseeing the murder of Christians would be diagnosed with PTSD. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane would be diagnosed with anxiety, being under severe emotional um, stress, mental stress. Now, please listen to me carefully. I'm not saying these professionals don't play a role. What I am saying is the church also plays a role. Many times it's a sin problem being misdiagnosed. And we now live in an overdiagnosed world where some abnormalities are now the new norm. For example, just take all the gender confusion. It used to be identified as gender, gender identity disorder. But as of 2013, they changed the terminology and now they just consider it a dysphoria instead of a disorder. And now it's almost in vogue to change your genders. 
Could it be there's a spiritual problem that's been left undiagnosed and therefore it is left untreated? We've we've become conditioned to believe certain issues no longer belong in the church, in the spiritual realm. It's like God cannot handle certain issues. Spiritual leaders are never consulted. People are convinced it cannot find treatment in the church. And as a result, what people do is they find their treatment outside of the church in their counselors and their therapists. They try to work through their problems that are largely spiritual in nature. And whether you like to hear this or not, I know whereof I speak. My wife and I have dealt with issues where just as soon as the finger is put upon the problem, they go right back to the therapist. Why, I don't really want help, I just want comfort. And they get a Band-Aid instead of a cure. And they go on left untreated. Now, please understand, I am not saying everything is a result of a sin problem. Things happen physically, I get all that. I'm not suggesting that, so spare me the hate mail. And I'm not saying don't seek medical attention. God gave us doctors for a reason. Hallelujah, He did. But I am saying this. You need to add to your physical well-being the spiritual well-being. Even the Air Force figured this out when I was in. I mean, you had to be technically ready, physically ready, mentally ready or something like that. Spiritually ready. And so add to that the spiritual treatment. I am bold enough to tell you that on the authority of the Word of God, people need spiritual health and they need help. Nebuchadnezzar here has a spiritual condition. It needs a spiritual solution. He had a sin problem. That's why he's in this condition. And he needed spiritual help. He refused Daniel's, but he'll eventually come to himself. Please bear with me. I need to finish this. I know it's time to dismiss. Real quick. Notice in the beginning of verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. And so here he comes to himself. He had been looking horizontally into his kingdom. God had been wanting him to look up vertically uh, to the God of heaven and his perpetual kingdom. And once he looked to the God of heaven, his understanding returned. He blesses the Most High. He praises and honor God who lives forever whose dominion and kingdom is everlasting. And listen to me, please, as we get ready to wind this down. God is the answer to all of your problems. Period. We have to look to Almighty God. And what I want to do as pastor is I want to point people to the Lord. Lift up your eyes to see God. Whatever you're going through, look To God, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. In in verse 35, the king's sin of pride, which led to this condition, it has been defeated. He has been humbled by the mighty hand of God. He acknowledges God's sovereignty, which is what God was getting at from the beginning. He says, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? He finally has learned that God is the one who sets up. He rules, he reigns, he's sovereign. He sets up the kings, he sets up the kingdoms. He knows what's happening in the world. I've covered this extensively in this book already. He knows. And then God reestablishes Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom in verse 36. And lastly, in verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar accepts that God was right. 
He accepts his punishment. He sees it as being just from God. He calls it truth. And he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. Before it had all been about the God of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, but now there appears to be a different tone. So will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? I see cases for it. I see cases against it in this chapter. I do see in Daniel so far that God is not only able to protect His people while living in a strange land and protect them against wicked rulers, but God is also able to humble wicked rulers in this earth. So here's my closing thought to you. Just turn your eyes upon Jesus. Whatever you're going through, let's pray.